Spotlight. Brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. Faster Mai, it's Sarah Hendy here with you until half past six. And this evening, Beth Espy speaks to Sarah Owens, a mum who's written a book to help those grieving the loss of a child. We speak to Mike Radcliffe about his high energy photography. And Judith Lay is at the Isle of Man Festival of Choirs. Spotlight is available on demand and as a weekly podcast as well, which you can stream, download or subscribe to on the Manx Radio website. And while you're there, you'll no doubt find other podcasts from across our schedule which pique your interest. I'd recommend Chris Williams's Odd Pod, which is always a bit of a laugh. And if you missed last night's uh, part two of Pride and Pardoning, it really is a beautiful documentary which is well worth a listen. First tonight... Beth Espy speaks to a mum who has written a book to help grieving families deal with the loss of a child. You may remember that we spoke to Sarah Owens a few weeks ago about her entry for the Poetry Trail, where she told us about the upcoming publication of her book. Here's her story. My son was born at 27 weeks in Liverpool Women's Hospital. Um, My waters had actually broken before I was 20 weeks, um, so I was brought away there and then he was born at 27 weeks. Um, He lived for six weeks and one day in the neonatal unit there and then he passed away. Um, So the reason I wrote this book is because my son, who was six at the time, he'd obviously lost his brother and I didn't find there were many sort of books around to help him there was one which was great factually to start with he kept asking for it as a bedtime story I kept thinking but it's not it's not comforting enough it's not cuddly enough I wanted a story that had the same sort of message behind it but showed children they weren't alone rather than just it being factual so the words just came into my head and I I wrote Arlo's Adventure (laughs) and so talk us through what Arlo's Adventure is all about then um, it's about a, a family of bears um, whose whose mum is pregnant, and it's the excitement building. They're making the cot. They're um, seeing her growing stomach, and then one night something goes wrong. And I've kind of purposely left it like that so it can be interpreted as it can be miscarriage or stillbirth or even neonatal death. Um, I've left it as open as possible to to comfort as many children as possible. Um, but after after that them finding out that the baby has passed away it talks about them still being part of the family which they are um and still i think one of the last lines is they'll love them as much as they loved each other because they and and they will and then that is what happens in in families that have lost a baby so that's the the sort of whole sentiment of the book really because typically we are we find it very difficult to talk about death anyway but the death of a child at whatever stage is something that affects the whole family and yet, as you say, it's so difficult to talk about. People use euphemisms, and I don't know whether you found that people found it really difficult to approach you to, to talk about what you'd been through. So this, as a, as a starter point for talking about it with anyone, is just brilliant. Yes, it is definitely. Losing a baby or a miscarriage or, as you say, child death is a really difficult thing to talk about, and people will sometimes cross the street not to talk to you because they don't know what to say. Um and the only sort of advice I say is to say something to acknowledge their child lived and, and to say their name because some if you don't it's like their child didn't exist. Whereas that's part of why I've done this book and why it's got all of his name in the title so I can hear his name spoken. And it's a wonderful thing to have in his memory and just 
yeah just for you that he's still so much a part of you and your family's life yes yes definitely, definitely. so it is beautifully illustrated um how did that come about okay so I had a lot of trouble illust- getting an illustrator actually um I had sent my book away and they kept saying it was lovely and um but it was it's very niche it's not going to appeal to everybody it is families that have lost lost their babies or um you know families that have know somebody that's lost a baby but it's not going to be a story that's read in every nursery um I hoped it hope it would be but the fact is it's not going to be so I did struggle to sort of get it published um and then I I approached a couple of illustrators over here and one of them sort of said oh well, you, you show me what you want. You draw a cross where you want the bears and things like that. And I thought, that's not illustrating book. That's drawing it. I want someone to illustrate the words. We need the emotions of the book in the pictures because it's a picture book for children. Um, and then a child that I'd worked with um, a little while beforehand, I'd become very friendly with her mum during the loss of, of Arlo. Even while he was in the neonatal unit, she gave me a lot of support. So I just approached her one day and I, I asked her what her daughter Carmen would think of doing the book and she said, I'll ask her. And the next thing I knew, it took about six months, um, but I said I didn't want it rushed. I didn't want any part of the illustrations. I wanted to see the book through somebody else's eyes. Um, and then, it, yeah, it took about six months and that's what she came up with. And she was just 11 at the time when she did it. What a beautiful thing to have and a great resource for anybody who sadly will have to go through uh, what you have been through. There is the official launch coming up, isn't there? Tell us about that. Yes, we're having a launch on the 27th of October at Douglas Rugby Club, um, 3.30 till 5.30. There will be a weather-dependent bouncy castle there and some face painting and some activity for the children as well as a raffle. Um, The raffle, we're hoping to get our charity status at the moment funds made from the raffle will go into the into the charity and from your point of view um and supporting your son who obviously is a little bit older now through this how helpful has he found this he has absolutely loved having his his brother's book he's very proud um one of my proudest moments actually was that they did someone who inspired them and he wrote about me writing the book about his brother so that was a very touching moment oh and you've got uh, little Ava here who has been absolutely brilliant how old's Ava? Ava is nearly 18 months old you've been so good Ava (laughs) um where can people get hold of this book Sarah? um my I have got Facebook page which is Arlo's Adventure um at the moment I will be launching the website very soon we're just waiting on a few things like getting our charity number so we can get a charity bank account and once we've got that done the the website will be launched um but for now it's Arlo's Adventure on Facebook you mentioned um, the charity which is being uh, established at the moment. What's that going to do? Okay, so the charity, I for, I was in Liverpool Women's for nine weeks um, and patient transfers were absolutely brilliant. They funded for my partner at the time, to, who's now my husband, to come over um, and visit me at any time that he needed to. However, it didn't cover paying for our son or our parents or um, any other members of the family or friends. So what I wanted to do, we were lucky enough that we can we could afford to do that, but I know there are lots of families that can't afford to do that. So what I wanted to do is enable those siblings to meet 
a sibling that's been born or to visit a relative that's been on a long stay in hospital um, and also to for them to do activities together because I found something that was brilliant for us is my friends got me got us a voucher for Liverpool One so it meant we could go and do crazy golf or we could go to the cinema or things like that and just to spend that time with Alfie was was amazing you know even when I was in that hospital environment for so long uh, and the other part of our charity will be supporting bereaved siblings so that's so obviously something that's quite close to my heart and it's very you know in touch with the book as well Spotlight brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council The Engine House hosted their first Potter's Fair in Castletown recently and I wove my way through the crowds to speak to Colette Gamble of AOC and photographer Mike Radcliffe, whose work is on display at the Engine House until the end of this month. Well, Colette, it's lovely to see such a, such a huge collection of work um, outside of your new studio, because we haven't visited yet, actually. How is it up there? Oh, we absolutely love it. We just don't get enough time there, really. That's the dream, isn't it? Spending time in the studio, making a mess, which is what we're very good at. Um, <laughs> so that's myself and Kate Cherry, of course, yeah. at ASC. I mean, there's such a variety of work and I've watched some of the videos on Instagram where you show us through some of the processes. It's not quick work, is it? No, it definitely takes a long time. I mean, even as you're developing it, obviously things change and you find things that you like and maybe things that you want to discard. But um, yeah, it's just all that drying time. You have to wait. <laughs> Who likes waiting? Not me. Um, yeah, and lots of firings and then glaze testing. I don't want to bore you. So. No, no. <laughs> yeah, no, the, I think the best thing is actually is if you have a go yourself and then you really appreciate, you know, it's not quite as easy as maybe it, it first seems, but it's also so therapeutic and good fun. So. And working in collaboration with someone as well, because you both have your own sort of uh, lines of work um, and this... This is sort of a it's, a, it's a two-man game as well. We've just been speaking to Stephen Sally Black over the way as well. It's, it's really nice to see people working together because the results must be so different. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I mean, it's we both have very strong ideas, but it's amazing how actually we've both become a bit more malleable, I think, yeah, if that's a yeah. good term. I'm not really sure. But... Um, yeah, I, I think we definitely both inspire each other, which is a really nice place to be in. And Kate will do something that I would never have thought of, and I'll be like, I've got to do more of that. So, yeah, no, it works really well. I mean, you know, if you work closely with someone for quite a long period of time, then there's going to be some ups and downs. I don't agree on everything, but, but as a whole, I think I'm really, really lucky. So. And do you think um, doing this ceramic work together has uh, changed how you work in your in your own in your own artwork? Uh, I think every I was going to say new thing you take on, but this isn't really new for us. But I think every time you embark on another subject matter or medium, I think it always influences what you do next with another medium or material. So I think that. Yeah, that always happens. It's just you developing, really. Yeah, all good. And we can we can look forward to coming up to um, the Pinewood Studios on the second of November to to see you and your work in situ as well. 
Yes, yeah, we're very looking forward to that, very much so. Um, so there's obviously uh, Marie and Spud at Pinewood Studios, they're great hosts as well. Uh, I'm sure plenty of people out there will have uh, been well looked after by them and they have such amazing things in the studio. Um, it'll be really nice to see your work in the place that it's made. Do you think, um, Do you think? I know you've been in the, the new studio for almost a year now, is it? Because um, I suppose you're allowed to make a mess and leave it messy till you come back if you need to. Um, we are, but we definitely need to spend a bit more time tidying up. We will tidy up for the event, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> and you will be able to get in, which is, a, a you know, that's always a positive. <laughs> we're always tripping over boxes, to be fair. We do, we, we're, I think we're so busy busy with you know all the various things that we do that we have to like literally grab any moment to work in the studio so it just then look like a bit of a tip but it's yeah it, that's what a dedicated space like that is for isn't it that's where you go to be creative yeah make a bit of a mess if you need to and uh, it's not going to affect anything else Absolutely, and and in terms of, of being out there, we're definitely influenced by the environment. I mean, it's just such a beautiful place to be. It's very, very special. Yeah. Well, it's lovely to see you here, and um, yeah, we'll see you on the 2nd of November. Well, Mike, looking at your work, I can't imagine where you were standing when you took these photographs. I mean, you got waves crashing over what looked like quite isolated um, lighthouses, looking through the tunnel of a wave as well. Where do you go? How do you how do you make this happen? Most of the most of the weight shots are in the exhibition here today. Are taken out at Port St Mary, Caller Point. It's one of the few places on the island where you can actually stand and look into a tube. The wave actually rolls past you, rather than, as you know yourself, you stand on the beach, the wave comes in straight at you, and that's where you get wet, sort of thing. Uh, if you're careful, and I say to people, if they're going to do it, be very careful because the rocks are slippery. But you can actually look side on. It's uh, it's nice. To, I, I love it. I'm an addict, to, you know, addicted to the waves capturing the beauty in the from the the big storms as you say the likes of the Laxey shot here down to the smallest detail of the uh, there's one up the Laxey beach the, another day beautiful little ripples yeah. and how did you how did it, how did you discover that that place in Port St Mary Caller Point where you can where you can look through the tube of a wave it's it sounds like something that's quite a discovery Pure, for me, p- pure luck. Uh, my mother loves to watch in the waves as well, um, and I, I took her down there one day, and it was a, a nice, it was a southerly wind blowing in, and it was just one of those things watching it and watch the shape and realised you can actually see the side, the twig that you can see side on. If you got down on the rocks there, I could see side on the wave, and uh, so it's been a lucky for me, a lucky accident or a lucky, lucky find, and I say I seem to spend half my life down there. <laughs> I bet. And um, have you always had a fascination with the sea? Has the sea been a big part of your life? Yeah, Manx, born and bred here, isn't it? Because we're surrounded by us, so it's that old thing of, I'm not a great swimmer, so uh, I'd like to be a better swimmer, but in this case, this is the cl- sort of closest. I've got a wetsuit. The plan is to get in with the next stage, is get in with the waves and see what I can do with them as well. Because I could only assume that you were in the water with the waves when I'm looking at your photos. They're so up close, there's so much detail there. Um, but actually, you're, you're out of the water when you're taking these shots. Yes, it's a, a long lens, a without getting too, ne- too technical crop body centre long lens 600mm lens uh, as you say it gives the impression that you, you could literally touch the wave where in the reality that one is probably 20-30 feet away from me mm-hmm. uh, just you know, so cropping in very close on the, on the shot yeah quite impressive and do you think you know why you're drawn to waves or what it is about them is it is it the curves is it the energy of the waves what, what is it that inspires you so much about, um, about the sea and its, and its movement and its shapes 
I think it's just it's, it's beautiful. It's it's different every day. I go as I, say, I spend a lot of time down at Port St Mary, and every day I go down there, it's different. Uh, the waves, the wind conditions, the light, different times of the day, different seasons. It's like someone just gave me the perfect description recently, and it's, what I capture is a fraction of a second in a neon that'll never happen again. I think that's it. Everyone can see the big waves. What you can't see if you stand on the beach is the, the beauty and the detail. In, in the smaller waves, so like fast, fr- fast frame and uh, photography, like this, you actually show people what they're missing. And you've you've chosen to print your work in quite an interesting way that I've not really seen before. Can you tell us a bit about how that works? These particular ones are on a, a product called Dye Bond. It's an uh, aluminium. It, it's uh, two layers of aluminium with an acrylic layer in between. It's worked really well. It was a bit of a, a wing and a prayer, a sort of try it, see if it'll work. Um, a bit of a risk, shall we say, for me. But I think it, it, it's worked really well because these particular finish on them have a slight stipple on them and it almost brings, I think, brings the waves alive. Um, much more so than the prints look nice, but this actually, I think you can get closer to it, you can see, see the detail in them. Your work is digital, I suppose. Analog photography would not get anything like these kinds of results. I, I mean, you, you, could, you can do it on film. Um, the problem is I take, on average, 500 to 1,000 shots in a day, um, and it's the cost. Uh, I've got my own dark room, but even then, the costs are outweigh the, the benefits. And, and in reality, when you use one or two pictures, sometimes from a session, the cost of doing it with analog is significant. And uh, pure practicality, I'm studio. I have to protect the, the camera equipment. I've got a rain cover on it, so to stand and try and change a film in the middle of a uh, that shot there is a, a force eight gale. The reality of it, you know, it, it's not practical. It's, sort of, it's making best use of the equipment that's currently available. And uh, it's lovely to see your work here at the Engine House. How long have we got to enjoy the exhibition? It runs until the, the 8th of November uh, mm-hmm. and it's open on weekdays between 9 o'clock and 3 o'clock. And I'm available as, as per my webpage and my Facebook page. If people want to meet me down here, just drop me a message and I'm more than happy to meet because... I'm happy to bore anyone about wave photography. (laughs) (laughs) So that's Mike Radcliffe Photography on Facebook then? Yes. Yeah, Yeah. that's correct. Spotlight. Brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. Judith Lay spent a very happy weekend at the Isle of Man Festival of Choirs, speaking to the great and the good involved. Something tells me, Sue Richards, that the celebrating is going to go on long into the night. Oh, I think so. I'm so proud of them. They've done so well. Yeah. Well, it was such a popular win. I mean, the, the whole of the Royal Hall, the other choirs were all on their feet, weren't they? Yes, yes. They got a grand reception and, and I think they entertained everybody. They did. In true male voice choir style. Beautiful. So I'm so pleased for them. They worked so hard for this, so it's wonderful. But, yes. But yes, here's the man. Here's the main man. Dan Craddock, musical director, congratulations. Thank you very much. On a very, very popular win, a wonderful performance. Yeah, the men worked really hard today, I couldn't have been prouder for them. Six months of blood, sweat and tears has gone into the competition, and even to get through to today, the men were just elated with, so we just had to go and enjoy it, and we did, so... Uh, you know, we've got men of varying ages. A lot, a couple of the younger guys still work, so they're taking time off work to come. And the dedication from all of them has been really good. Um, yeah, I, c- I couldn't be prouder for them. I've been in a male voice choir in some form since I was 11, so the traditional parts have always got, you know, a heartfelt place. Um, we've got to be progressive as a male voice choir movement, and we've got to look at pushing the boundaries, and that's certainly what we've tried to do, and, and it's worked really well for us. Now, you say you've had an association since you were 11. Yeah. Are you still seeing young youngsters who want to come and join? Um, not, not as young as, as that. We are still seeing 
a couple of young people, anything under 40 to us is young, so it, it, it makes such a difference to, to see some young faces in. Um, and hopefully, you know, it'll catch on somewhere and I think, you know, some inspiration will be taken from it. But the fact of the matter is that a man retains a good voice. Yeah, absolutely. One of our top tenors yesterday, we at a top season, 91. Um, and he's been singing with the choir for 50 years. He's done a sterling job. You know, we spend four hours a week with these men and then on a weekend as well. So I think, you know, to come together and bring music together makes such a difference. Are you involved in music as, alongside the Haydock Choir? Uh, I'm not. So Haydock's my only choir. I have a full-time career. I'm a recruitment manager. So it, it's like chalking cheese. I'm really lucky that I get to do my hobby. Wonderful. Singing was top class, the standard was great, the adjudicator commented many times and just the standard. Everybody raised their bar. It was tremendous. Worth all the work and to see people singing and all singing the Max National Anthem at the end, which they learned. And each year you, people say, that's the best we've had yet. And that says a lot for the festival and the quality of the choirs who have heard about the festival and know that it's a quality event to come to. And that's great for us too. As big choirs like this have great itineraries, they travel all over the world, you know. So you have to give them time to prepare and think, well, will we go for the Isle of Man or we go to Canada, you know. So a lot of these choirs, instead of going to Canada, they've come to the Isle of Man. And one choir is coming back next festival. And the conductor said, even if the choir don't come, I'm coming. It's the most wonderful, friendly festival we've ever been to. And I think we need to, to bring in Gabrielle. Yes. And uh, you have worked very, very hard over these last couple of days. Yes. Have you enjoyed yourself? I have very much enjoyed myself. It's been absolutely fantastic. And I've never, ever experienced something like this before. And to see all these different choirs from all over the UK, it's been absolutely brilliant. It's a bit of a family affair, Judith, because I all had my daughter roped in this time. She was left to, to, to do all the arranging at the back, the announcing, sorting out the choirs, the checks payments and the certificates and I'm very grateful to her and I forgot well, to mention on stage it was great to be a part of it actually and and do it see it from a different side not just in the audience so it was really good thank you so much for really interesting insightful adjudication you know yesterday you had a word for every choir mm. and you you obviously had listened really absorbed every note what do you think of the festival overall I just words actually words don't fail me because it was just magnificent and I think the final two words I used in my summing up today was inspirational and uplifting uh, the organizers say it's a festival of choirs it's a celebration of choirs and that comes across so much but you're right what I try to do though is find find the good in every performance because I think sometimes in competitions like this we're all um, looking to how we can improve and how we can just just make that little moment slightly better but actually those moments that we want to improve are quite small what we must celebrate is all the really good things that I heard yesterday you you it's a very privileged position to sit in this chair and you listen in a very different way but you listen in a way that hopefully manages to point conductors and choirs in a direction that helps them to maintain the high standards that they've achieved but also to just enjoy the fact that the singing uh, over the weekend has been of an, an immensely high standard. Um, I was, I've been really nervous this afternoon about this decision. I put the four choirs through, so I knew what they were going to be like. But divorcing them from yesterday and just listening to them today in a 25-minute programme which um, saw a, a real breadth of music, um, it, 
managed to uh, touch the audience, it managed to find drama, it managed to find emotion, it managed to find spirituality. All of that in, in one afternoon has to be applauded and I, I feel very privileged and humbled that they invited me to be here. Choirs and choir singers are very generous in their praise and I think that because because I have a choral background, and I think because they know I'm a, a, a choir person, I, I think and I hope that they would know and understand and appreciate where I was coming from without having to explain uh, what I'd done. But I mean, there were, there were four exceptional performances from four exceptional choirs. I, what else can I say? But, you know, it is my job to make a decision. And, and I, I felt that, I, you know, I, I wanted to... I wanted to acknowledge the male voice choir tradition. I wanted to acknowledge what they'd managed to achieve in terms of, you mentioned repertoire, the, the, the real breadth of, of repertoire and the colour that they managed to find in their voices. So, you know, singing is, is for everybody uh, and it's, it's a wonderful world to be part of. Thank you very much indeed for coming and being part of our world and I hope that in the not too distant future we might be able to lure you back again. I would love to come back, so thank you very much indeed. Thank you. There we heard some beautiful music sung by the festival champions, the Haydock Male Voice Choir. Judith Lay spoke to their patron, Sue Richards, and musical director, Dan Craddock. You also heard festival founder, Jeff Corkish, his granddaughter, Gabrielle, and daughter, Sarah, who worked behind the scenes to pull this fantastic event together. And last but by no means least, Judith Lay spoke to Stephen Roberts, who was this year's festival adjudicator. I'll be back next Wednesday evening at six o'clock, but until then, have a lovely creative week. Slen you.